right here, right now. Find your beautiful new floor at Right Rug Flooring. Choose from thousands of in-stock styles ready for next day installation and all backed by the right price guarantee. Visit rightrug.com. That's R-I-T-E-R-U-G.com today to schedule a free in-home estimate or to find a location near you. 24-month financing is available with approved credit. For 90 years, we've been right here, right now. Right Rug Flooring. You know you've got a comeback in you. When you take the next step, you're going to make it count. For your career, for your family, for your life. You can earn a degree you're proud of with Purdue Global. Purdue Global is backed by Purdue University, one of the nation's most respected and innovative public universities. This is your chance. This is your opportunity. This is your comeback. Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. You're listening to Comedy Central. Coming to you from New York City, the only city in America. It's The Daily Show. Tonight, Putin's jam election. Where K-pop came from. And William McCaskill. This is The Daily Show with Trevor Noah. tonight take a seat everybody COVID is being replaced by something even worse NASA has launched its war with space and Ronnie Chan goes deep into the world of k-pop so let's do this people let's jump straight into today's headlines everybody. Before we get into the big stories, let's catch up on a few other things going on in the world. Starting with the big moments watched live around the globe. Last night, NASA tested a new planetary defense system by smashing a spacecraft into an asteroid. Boom! Yeah. (laughs) How you like that, asteroid? (laughs) That was for the dinosaurs. And in case you're wondering, in case you're wondering, no, the asteroid was not heading for Earth, right? We're just testing the system. It wasn't heading towards us. But now the other asteroids, they know not to test us. <laughs> you don't mess with Earth, man. We're local, man. <laughs> in health news, researchers have discovered that you can dissolve pills faster if you lie on your right side. Which raises a big question for me. How do I become a researcher? It, it just sounds like fun, right? Sounds like a lot of fun. You just sit around all day thinking random thoughts like, huh, I wonder what would happen if I took Advil doggy style, huh? Huh? Oh, and in financial news, Donald Trump is back on the Forbes 400 list of America's richest people at number 343, which I love so much. Yeah, I mean, how ironic is it? that Donald Trump is the only guy doing well in Joe Biden's economy, huh? (laughs) Yeah, he's gonna end up running for president and then voting for Biden. I made so much money under Joe Brandon, and this Trump guy was crazy. I heard he wanted bleach in his lungs. He's crazy. 
I'm voting for Joe. But let's move on to some of the biggest stories of the day, starting with our ongoing coverage of the war in Ukraine. It has been seven months since Vladimir Putin went all Kool-Aid man on Ukraine. But from day one, the war has been a disaster for him. First, Putin tried to take over all of Ukraine, but the Ukrainian army stopped him. Then he tried to take over the eastern half, but the Ukrainian army stopped him. Then he tried to slide into an Instagram model's DMs. <laughs> the Instagram, like, it was just Instagram, so the Ukrainian army didn't do anything because it was Instagram. Yeah, he was, he was stopped by the fact that he looks like a heavily Botox golem in a suit. No offense to golem, I just need an example. The point is, Vladimir Putin is not hashtag winning. So, after seven months of war, the Russian army only controls a slice of Ukraine. And now, the Ukrainians are threatening to take that back, too. But before that happens, Vladimir Putin is saying, hey, 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 what about democracy? In Ukraine, Russian-controlled areas in the east of the country are wrapping up a series of referendums asking voters if they want to be a part of Russia. The votes are illegal under international law, and some Ukrainians have been forced to vote at gunpoint. Election officials accompanied by armed soldiers go traipsing up flights of stairs, knocking on doors, searching for voters. In the past few minutes, the Russian state media has announced the preliminary results, claiming that people have voted overwhelmingly in favor of becoming part of the Russian Federation. The results supposedly showing 97 or 98% of the vote being in favor of joining the Federation. Yeah, you hear that? Russian soldiers are going door to door, forcing people to vote to join Russia. And so because of that, 97% of the vote has been pro-Putin. Yeah, but I mean, let's be honest. I mean, these, these voters have a choice in the same way we have a choice to not accept cookies on that website, you know? <laughs> yeah, it's like, what, so what, if I click no, can I not see how child stars have aged? What kind of a choice is that? <laughs> 97%. No, my question is, who the hell is the 3%? <laughs> no, I'm really impressed by that. Who had the balls to still vote against Putin while his soldiers watched them mark their ballots? Who was there and just like, yes, I have voted for your mama. Oh, oh look at that. Oh, I voted twice. Oh, oh. So yeah, because it's a sham, it looks like 98% of the voters in this election voted to become a part of Russia. And honestly, I, like, why do they even go through all of this, huh? Like going door to door, making everyone sign shit just so you can do what you were already doing anyway. I mean, it's one thing to conquer a town and blow up all their buildings, but then to make them do paperwork, there is evil, and then there's evil. And this is that classic middle school bully move, forcing you to say something and then acting like it's legit. Say you wanna eat dog poop. Say you wanna eat dog poop. Oh, I like to eat dog poop. <laughs> he said it, he likes eating dog poop. No, I didn't, Steve. I just said it because you made me say it. I'm glad your parents broke up. <laughs> but let's move on to some news that's closer to home. Even though the coronavirus pandemic seems to finally be on its way out, I think we can all admit the world is not exactly the same as it used to be. We're less eager to shake strangers' hands. You know, people generally don't sit next to each other in public places anymore. And now, every time you rob a bank, it takes so much longer for people to know you're the robber because everyone else is wearing a mask. <laughs> yeah, so then you have to pull out a gun, but because it's America, everyone else pulls out a gun. <laughs> and then it's like, at that point, you just end up opening up a checking account and leaving. You know, I was just trying to rob the bank. The pandemic spoiled everything. But 
Good news, good news, people. There is one part of American life that is coming roaring back. Traffic is coming back to pre-pandemic levels. I've seen it with my own eyes. This all thanks to a push for workers to return to the office. Major U.S. cities, including Los Angeles, Miami, Chicago, seeing more commuter traffic, congestion, and it, it is growing. Traffic is above pre-pandemic levels in Miami and Dallas, in Houston and in Phoenix. There is an interesting disparity, though, taking place in the numbers. Monday and Friday, that is when traffic is typically lower, even lower than it was before the pandemic. Wednesday and Thursday are the really big days for traffic now in major cities across the country. Really starts to begin to rise today, Tuesday. Yeah, you see, because everyone now works remote part-time, and then everyone gets to choose which days they work remote and which those days they come in, all of the traffic that used to be during the week is now only on Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday, <laughs> which sucks. All of it is crammed together. <laughs> I will say, as bad, bad as it is for us humans, it is good for the cars, you know? Yeah, because now that traffic is slow, it gives them a chance to catch up again. <laughs> hey there, Craig! Hey! Hey, Craig! Long time no see, buddy! Hey! Yeah, nice paint job! Uh, nothing wrong with turning back the clock a little bit, huh? Me? Yeah, things have been good. <laughs> Some teenagers had sex in me. That was cool. <laughs> oh, boy! Did you hear about Jerry, by the way? His owner dubbed him for an electric. Yeah, he's taking it real hard. He's hooked on diesel now. It's a real shame, man. Oh, by the way, looks like my lane is moving. See you in two seconds, buddy! <laughs> you know... You know, when, when you think about it, the new traffic problem makes sense, right? Because everyone would rather spend an extra day at home on a Monday and a Friday, and that means that those days are gonna be the days when everyone's chilling, right? Because those are the days when you're making the hangover or recovering from the hangover, you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, but now, but now think about this. If everyone is choosing the same days to be on the road, then those days are gonna suck even more, which means Tuesday is gonna be the new Friday, and then Thursday is gonna be the new Monday, and then, wait, what? Well, I guess Wednesday's still gonna be in the middle. It'll be that weird day in the middle. Like the D that nobody even uses. Like, yeah, who says Wednesday anyway, huh? It's probably the same people who say February. Should be arrested. The point is, the point is, this problem is happening because the week was designed incorrectly. Yeah, think about it. Who said the week has to be seven days? Huh? That's not a rule. It's what people don't realize. If we all do the same week, it's not gonna get better. My solution is, instead of seven days, we should have a five-day week, yeah? Think about it, think about it, because you've seen every study that comes out that says the fewer the days we work, doesn't mean that production goes down, right? No productivity decreases. All we do is spend extra time in the office spending like we're working when really we're just, we're just Googling how long until Friday gets here. So <laughs> we don't actually need more days in the office. Think about it, three days of work, that's what I propose. We do three days of work, two days of weekend. Yeah, yeah, three days of work, two days of weekend. Sounds like a perfect week, yeah? Less traffic, you're just like, oh, it's Monday. Oh, it's Wednesday already, Friday, what a week! <laughs> By the way, I'm gonna need Monday off, I've got a thing. It's a perfect week. All right, that's it for today's headlines. Let's move on to something that everyone loves now. It is time to check in on today's lotto numbers with our very own Dulce Sloan, everybody! <laughs> How are you doing today? Well, you know, I woke up on the right side of the dirt, so it is what it is, baby. 
All right, well, Dulce, hit us with the numbers. You know, I heard Trump's back on the Forbes 400 list. Oh, yeah, yeah, he is, he is. Like, I give a damn? Listen, <laughs> they just keep putting out this list. Like, why are we supposed to care? It's just a bunch of drunk, it's like a bunch of rich motherfuckers we don't know. Like, why am I supposed to care that you rich? I still eat at Checkers. Like, what are we talking about? Right? Like, why do we need to know this information? Like, they're basically giving us a list of 400 people we should rob. <laughs> it's like a crime starter pack. Like, don't rob your neighbor, rob number 26. Like, it makes sense. Okay, well, speaking of cash, thank you for sharing all of that, Dulce. Can, can mm -hmm. we get the, the lotto numbers, please? Listen, I'm trying to tell you something. Okay, okay. You saw the asteroid story? I, I did, yeah. Ooh, yeah. I with NASA, okay? <laughs> I don't matter with NASA. I love the Space Museum. I mean, I wouldn't go to space because I don't believe in going anywhere where you have to bring your own air. <laughs> it's a fact I'll never scuba dive. Like, if I was supposed to be down there, I'd have gills. This is dumb. <laughs> Like, I'm not that little Haley girl. I ain't finna be down there. What I'm saying is, did you see the live stream? Oh, the, yeah, the, the video that they had, yeah. They put the camera on the front of the thing. If you put it on the, like, it was running into the asteroid. So I didn't, like, it was like watching a video of someone falling down wearing a GoPro. <laughs> like, are you okay? Am I okay? Are we dead? Like, I don't know what's happening in here. It was science. Listen, we ganged up on an innocent asteroid. <laughs> Just minding his business, being in space, believing what he believes, being a horoscope, you know. What? I mean, that's space. That's where the horoscopes come from, right? It was bullying. A bullying? What are you talking yeah, about? Yeah, we done thrown a little machine into that little asteroid living his life. It's bullying. We were messing with that little asteroid. What if we pissed off his mama? You seen the cartoons, you know when you mess with the little baby something the mama always show up pissed. The little asteroids mama just gonna be floating out there like, mm, who crashed into you? <laughs> Don't tell me it was NASA every damn time. It's that NASA boy. Okay. Jose, I don't think the asteroid has a mom and I feel like we've run out of time completely. Can you uh can you just give us the lotto numbers right now, please, Dulce? We need the numbers. Ugh, fine. 113, 21, 834. Bye! No, 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 no. I gave no, you the no, what? No, you used all of my time for your stories and none of them for the lot. You I can't, was talking you, about the news. Yeah, what I'm saying, you, you can't do them all at once, right? You gotta, you gotta, like, you gotta take your time. Build the suspense. Oh, suspense. Yes. Yeah. I got your suspense. <laughs> Right here, right now. Find your beautiful new floor at Right Rug Flooring. Choose from thousands of in-stock styles, ready for next day installation, and all backed by the right price guarantee. 
visit rightrug.com. That's R-I-T-E-R-U-G.com today to schedule a free in-home estimate or to find a location near you. 24-month financing is available with approved credit. For 90 years, we've been right here, right now. Right Rug Flooring. Top Thrill 2 is like no other course. Two 420-foot vertical speedways, three launches. All right, let's talk strategy. Copy that, driver. Go for maximum acceleration off the start. Roger that. You've got a short straightaway to push from 0 to 74 on the first vertical speedway. And what about the rollback? Rollback will set you up for an explosive reverse climb 420 feet in the sky so you reach 0 Gs in total weightlessness. 420 feet of straight-up speed. Let's get it. Top Thrill 2, the world's tallest and fastest triple-launch Stratocoaster. Get your tickets at cedarpoint.com. trends in music over the last few years has been K-pop. But while it might be new to you, K-pop has a long and fascinating history. So let's find out about it in another edition of Ronnie Chang Teaches You About Asians. All right, all right, settle down, everyone, because today we're learning about something that's blowing up all over the world. No, not climate change, okay? I don't teach boring stuff in this classroom. I'm talking about K-pop. It's why your cousin suddenly speaks Korean more fluently than English. And believe it or not, K-pop used to be something that only Koreans knew about. The rest of the world wasn't always into it. Like how there was a time when white people didn't know about yoga. The first group to really break through internationally was the Kim sisters. Sukja, Eja, and Minja started singing as children during the Korean War for American GIs. They sang, they danced, and they played 20 instruments. I can't even name 20 instruments. Saxophone, uh... In 1959, they got a contract to perform in Vegas. Ed Sullivan was taping a show there and they managed to book a performance on the show. There was such a hit, they got asked back 20 more times. Do you know how great you have to be to get asked back to anything 20 times? I don't even get invited to join LinkedIn that much. Unfortunately, the growth of K-pop hit a bump in the road soon after, when South Korea fell under the dictatorship of President Park Chung-hee, who started banning music. They even created a blacklist of songs that radio stations couldn't play. Everyone's end-of-year Spotify summary just said, your most played song was the national anthem. But Korean artists kept making music that challenged the status quo, like folk singer Han Dae-soo, whose albums were banned for anti-government messaging. Or rock guitarist Sin Chung-hyun, who, the story goes, defied the dictator's request to write a song in his honor. And let's face it, wanting a song to be written about you is classic dictator behavior. Right after military parades and having a weird haircut, everyone tells you looks great. By the 80s, the dictatorship had loosened. And by loosened, I mean the dictator was assassinated. But whatever, it made listening to the radio fun again. Outside music was allowed back in the country, and two of the most influential genres became hip-hop and R&B. Black artists from Michael Jackson to Run DMC reshaped the musical landscape of South Korea. It inspired performers like Deuce, DJ DOC, and Sir Taeji and Boyz, who are the earliest examples of K-pop as we know it today. They even made it into the movie soundtrack for Three Ninjas Kick Back. You didn't think we'd be watching a movie in class today, did you? Yeah, well, I didn't think I'd still have a hangover, but sometimes life surprises you. <clears throat> this was a big moment for Korean pop music even if the song was being played over a scene set in Japan. But give them a break, okay? They're the three ninjas, not the three cultural sensitivity experts. 
The next big step towards today's K-pop was in the 1990s, when major music studios started putting performers together in boy and girl bands. That's right, Korea was doing that long before Simon Cowell's nips ever started poking through his t-shirts. That's a no from me, dog. It's no surprise this new wave of K-pop blew up around the world. It featured complex melodies, unlike any other pop music, and always had next-level dance choreography. To this day, those remain the signature elements of K-pop. That and being Asian. Very important requirement. This new generation of K-pop stars became so successful, the government started to take notice and soon launched a program to promote Korean music around the globe. They saw K-pop as a way to boost Korea's cultural strength and economy without having to do a squid game. But one of the biggest K-pop sensations was a surprise no government could predict. I'm sorry, I know it took you 10 years to get this out of your head, but we gotta talk about it. Gundam Style was the first video to break a billion views on YouTube. It was so popular, UN Secretary General Ban Ki-moon praised the song, saying the arts was the path to cultural understanding. He said that about Gundam Style. That's like if they played Baby Shark during a war and all the soldiers started laying down their weapons and hugging each other. Since then, the rest of the world is more into K-pop than ever before. From girl groups like Girls' Generation and Blackpink, to artists like CL, but let's get to the group you've been waiting for. The reason you all enrolled in this class in the first place. BT motherfucking S. Three letters so important, the rest of the alphabet doesn't even exist anymore. They've dominated the charts. They've generated billions in revenue. They made it okay to eat butter again. They even increased tourism to South Korea. I mean, I'm glad my fans aren't that devoted because then they'd have to travel to Australia, which trust me, you don't want to do that. BTS is without a doubt the biggest group in the world. You can tell by their fans, the BTS army is the second largest military after the US, and they've drawn zero weddings. BTS might be on hiatus, but there's so much new K-pop we can enjoy while they're gone. And now you know how it got to where it is today. Oppa Gundam style! Oh, now it's in my head again. Get it out! Get it out! Stay tuned because when we come back, we're going to be chatting with one of the most popular philosophers of our time, William McCaskill. So don't go away. Right here, right now. Find your beautiful new floor at Right Rug Flooring. Choose from thousands of in stock styles, ready for next day installation, and all backed by the right price guarantee. Visit rightrug.com. That's R-I-T-E-R-U-G.com today to schedule a free in-home estimate or to find a location near you. 24-month financing is available with approved credit. For 90 years, we've been right here, right now. Right Rug Flooring. Rev up your thrills this summer at Cedar Point on the all-new Top Thrill 2. Drive the sky on the world's tallest and fastest triple-launch vertical speedway. And now, for a limited time, get more Cedar Point fun for less with our limited-time bundle for just $49.99. Get admission, parking, and all-day drinks for one low price. But you better hurry, because this bundle won't last long. Save now at cedarpoint.com. is a philosophy professor at Oxford and he's an entrepreneur who helps 
Stop the Effective Altruism Movement. He's here to talk about that and his new book about improving the future of humanity called What We Owe the Future. Please welcome William McCaskill. William McCaskill, welcome to The Daily Show. Thanks so much for having me. I'm, I'm a huge fan. It's, uh, it, it's interesting speaking to a philosopher, because when they say philosopher, I remember thinking, oh, it's probably going to be like a 90-year-old man with like a <laughs> stick, and it's, what is the meaning of life? And yeah. I, I can't even grow a beard. I'm like, <laughs> I, I suck as a philosopher. Um, you, you're, not, you're not just young. You're very successful. You, you, you know, you're a professor who deals with, I guess, is, are you dealing with some of the biggest moral issues in society? Help me understand what your field of expertise actually is. So I'm a little different from a normal moral philosopher because I'm a little less head in the sky, clouds. I want to fundamentally, I want to make the world a better place. Okay. And so I'm asking the question, how can we do as much as possible to make the world better? That's what effective altruism is about. And so the moral questions that I'm addressing are those that we need to figure out if we want to answer that question where... There are just so many problems in the world. Mm -hmm. Extreme poverty, mm -hmm. factory farming, chance of the next pandemic. How, how do we prioritize among them if we want to do as much good as we can? Is it, is it even possible to do that? You know, one of the first questions somebody may ask in response to you is, are humans inherently good? What, mm. would, you, what, would, you, what would you say to them if they ask that question? I think in response to that, just humans are very malleable. So people can be inspired to do amazing things, terrific mm -hmm. things. Uh, again, I've seen this. Now thousands of people committing to give at least 10% of our income, often much more, to those causes that will do the most good. So by promoting the idea of effective altruism, I've seen many people get inspired to do good. But you can also inspire people to do bad. The history of the 20th century right, showed right. the banality of evil, just how people could, even good people, could get swayed by bad ideologies right. and produce horrific outcomes. So let's talk a little bit about convincing people to give money to causes that will benefit the planet or humans around them. In, in this book, you talk about the future in a really interesting way, what we owe the future. Your, your argument, and correct me if I'm wrong, is basically that we have a moral obligation to sort of quote unquote our future self, like the future humans, the yep. humans that will inhabit the planet because what we come into was, crea was created or shaped by someone and somebody's going to come into that and so we have a moral obligation. Some people might say to you, oh yeah, well I'm here now and you know, nobody did anything for me so why should I care about what happens to somebody who's around when I'm not? Yeah, or you might ask, what should we do for future people? You know, right. What have they ever done for us? Right, well, they, um, and they haven't ever, because they're going to. What are they going they, to ever have done for us? Exactly, for sure. <laughs> um, but I think the idea that we should care about future people is just utterly common sense. So imagine you're walking, um, you're hiking on a trail, and you drop some glass, and it shatters, and you wonder, should I pick up the glass? Should mm -hmm. I clean after myself? Maybe someone will walk along the trail and cut themselves. And you think, well, you know, obviously I should, because I don't want to harm someone. Right. But now just imagine, do they cut themselves tomorrow, or in a year's time, or in a hundred years' time? Would that change the morality of the situation? I don't think so. Huh. Harm is harm no matter when it occurs. And just as we should care about people, whether they're in this country or on the other side of the planet, no matter where they are in space, we should care about people no matter where they are in time as well. So how do, how do we begin to get people to agree with that? Because um, you're based in the UK, yeah. right? And, and so if, I, if I've read you know, my research correctly, 
you donate, is it, is it how many, 50% of, of your income? Uh, yeah, it's um, a little more than that actually now. So, yeah. so you, you donate more than 50% of your income to causes that you believe in? Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Right, that's, <laughs> that's amazing. And, and some people would say insane, right? <laughs> and and when, I, when, I, when I heard that you did this, I remember thinking, oh, but is it easier to do it because you come from a place where you, your healthcare will be taken care of? Is it easier to do this because you feel like there's a social net? Or is, is it hard no matter where you're from? Like many Americans would say, well, I can't give away my money because I don't know how much a hospital bill will be. I can't give away my money because I don't know what I'm going to need to pay for or not. How do you convince people that giving away what they would say is hard earned is actually better for them when it's for others. Yeah, I think there's a couple of things here. So one is just, I acknowledge, I'm in this position of unbelievable privilege. Mm -hmm. I'm born into a rich country, I was well educated. Um, and that means, you know, I think I have like a responsibility to use you know, that privilege to okay. do good in the world. But the striking thing is that even after my giving, so I try and give you know, everything above about $35,000. Uh -huh. That still puts me in the richest 3% of the world's population. If you're in earning $60,000 per year, you're in the richest 1%. You are the 1% globally speaking. And so, okay, I'm giving 50%, but I can hardly complain. I'm still in the richest 3%. Hmm. But the crucial thing really is I thought this was gonna be a sacrifice. I thought it was gonna be hard, but worth it because it was gonna benefit so many people. But it's actually not. I've actually found it an incredibly rewarding thing to do. And right. I think my life is actually happier as a result. So it means, you know, I don't have a big car house. I don't have a fancy car. Right. But I do have wonderful relationships. I've got wonderful friends. I'm also part of this broader community, effective altruism community, that is inspiring, hardworking, people who are really focused on trying to make the world better. And I hope, at least, we're really making a positive difference. And that's just, that's worth more than all the luxury goods that money could buy. Wow. It's a, it's, it's, it's a, it's a mind shift. I think it's a mind shift that's extremely difficult to achieve, which is, you know, I guess why you do the work that you do. It's also interesting to see how many billionaires have signed on to your ideas. You know, everybody from, uh, you know, Bill Gates to, to Elon Musk, who mm -hmm. don't even agree with each other, by the way, and have both said, oh yeah, I, I really like what William is saying. I really agree with this. I think we should be giving away vast amounts of our wealth, et cetera. But, but when, I, when I see this, I, I often think to myself, it's easy for us to say people should give away 10%, 20%, whatever of their wealth. We say everyone should do yep, this of yep. their income. But when you get to a certain point, 10% or 20% of your income yeah, doesn't exactly. affect your life. Yeah, you know, if you're absolutely. a billionaire and you give away 10%, 20%, yes, it's a huge number, but it doesn't change this person's life. Whereas somebody who's working paycheck, paycheck to paycheck yeah. notices when 10% or 20% of their money is gone. So shouldn't this be an obligation that is placed predominantly at the feet of those who are the most privileged? So I think it's absolutely an obligation on the most privileged. So yeah, if you're a billionaire, so Bill Gates, you know, ushered in a new era of billionaire philanthropy, saying 50%. Right. I think the standard should be higher, 99% or more. And... <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, so yeah, I mean, people are laughing, but a, a decent chunk of my life is talking to billionaires and trying to give, convince them to give what do you almost say? all their money I don't know away. what you say, William. Help me understand this. <laughs> Help me understand. So, I mean... Uh, so yeah. billionaires are notorious for not giving their money away. 
I think that's going to change. Um, at so least, what do you say? What do you say to them? Well, at least for some. So we say two things. One, uh -huh. like you say, just money just above a certain threshold, money just doesn't affect your well-being. Right. Come on. And then secondly, money can be used to make a transformative difference. It costs $3,000 to save a life by protecting children in sub-Saharan Africa uh, from malaria by distributing insecticide-treated bed nets. This is a very reliable, well-evidenced fact. So $3,000. So $3,000, yeah. and that's with insecticides, the, the bed nettings, bed nets to, to protect, protect them children, from exactly. malaria, which is still one of the biggest, if not the biggest killer. Still thousands of children right. every day die. Um, unnecessarily. There are other risks too. Right. You know, pandemics is something we worry about, nuclear war. Mm -hmm. And so, uh, yeah, the case is just like, look, it's going to make almost no difference in your life. It's going to be enormously impactful for the world. Right. And actually, we've seen success. So there are a number of people um, in the kind of broader effective altruism movement, Dustin Moskowitz, now Sam Bankman Fried, who are planning to give 99% or more. And I think that can be the new standard. Wow. When you, when you, talk in the book, you know, the, the, there are parts that I, that I read where you interrogate the reader to ask questions about how they view the world and, and I think most importantly, how much they want to make a difference. So for instance, you'll argue here, you say, if you want to make an impact in climate change, you know, there are things you can do. For instance, you can become a vegetarian. You can say, okay, I'm going to try and limit my carbon output. If you really care, you can say, I'm going to travel less, I'm going to fly less, or I'm going to ride a bicycle more, or, or, or whatever, whatever it may be. You're talking to people and you're talking to individuals. Do you feel that the message is as well received by corporations that have like an outsize output? Because mm -hmm. every one person can try to do one thing, but like most of the smoke that's coming out and you know, most of the, output, you know, the carbon output is, it's coming from concentrated places. Yes, I'm not saying individuals don't make a big contribution, but yeah. do you find any of those big sources are, are, are receptive to this or is, or is the money too big and the, the, the face too obscure? Yeah, I mean, honestly, I've been kind of pretty disappointed at attempts to move companies mm -hmm. in a more philanthropic direction because co corporate philanthropy, 99% of the time, is a PR mechanism. Okay. And so some of the um, misconceptions that people have about how best to fight climate change, you can actually see being promoted by fossil fuel companies. So Shell is very keen on the idea that um, what we should be doing is reducing our carbon footprint personally. Yes. Whereas what we should be trying to do is put the fossil fuel companies out of business. <laughs> well, I see why you haven't broken through. And we as individuals can help do that. So mm. look, if you try and reduce your own carbon footprint, okay. in the US, uh, American um, will emit about 15 tons of carbon dioxide. Um, go be a hero, do everything you can. Maybe you can get that to zero. You can do as much good as if you know, you'd never been born. Okay. That's the kind of standard. <laughs> um, but we can do so much more than that. Donate 10% of your income. Let's say that's $3,000 uh -huh. for the very most targeted organizations funding clean technology, the sort of thing that means we no longer need to rely on fossil fuels. Okay. Then you, would then you would reduce the amount of carbon dioxide going into the atmosphere by something that's more like 3,000 tons per year. Oh, wow. So you'd be doing 200 times as much good with very targeted donations to the most effective nonprofits, even compared to your, this you know, heroic effort to right, get your right, carbon right. footprint down so to So just 3,000, it's like you have a choice, $3,000 or just never be born. Yeah. 
The $3,000 sounds cheap. Yeah. I think that sounds like a cheap plan. I think it's pretty good. Thank you so much for joining me on the thank show. Thank you so much. I wish I could encompass everything in the book, but that's why you wrote the book. Yeah, I hope you. to see you again. Uh, William McCaskill, everybody. What we all the future is available now. We're going to take a quick break. We'll be right back after this. Thank you very much. You so much. Yes, really. Right here, right now. Find your beautiful new floor at Right Rug Flooring. Choose from thousands of in-stock styles ready for next day installation and all backed by the right price guarantee. Visit rightrug.com. That's R-I-T-E-R-U-G.com today to schedule a free in-home estimate or to find a location near you. 24-month financing is available with approved credit. For 90 years, we've been right here, right now. Right Rug Flooring. Top Thrill 2 is like no other course. Two 420-foot vertical speedways, three launches. All right, let's talk strategy. Copy that, driver. Go for maximum acceleration off the start. Roger that. You've got a short straightaway to push from 0 to 74 on the first vertical speedway. And what about the rollback? Rollback will set you up for an explosive reverse climb 420 feet in the sky so you reach 0 Gs in total weightlessness. 420 feet of straight-up speed. Let's get it. Top Thrill 2, the world's tallest and fastest triple-launch Stratocoaster. Get your tickets at cedarpoint.com. We're not going to show up tonight, but before we go, before we go, please consider supporting World Central Kitchen. They're on the front lines, and they're traveling the world to provide meals to people who are hit by humanitarian, climate, and community crises. So if you want to support their work, then please donate at the link below. Until next time, stay safe out there, and remember, we've just started a war with asteroids, so live every day like it's your last. Watch The Daily Show weeknights at 11, 10 Central on Comedy Central. And stream full episodes anytime on Paramount+. Plus. This has been a Comedy Central podcast. Right here, right now. Find your beautiful new floor at Right Rug Flooring. Choose from thousands of in-stock styles ready for next day installation and all backed by the right price guarantee. Visit rightrug.com. That's R-I-T-E-R-U-G.com today to schedule a free in-home estimate or to find a location near you. 24-month financing is available with approved credit. For 90 years, we've been right here, right now. Right Rug Flooring. Top Thrill 2 is like no other course. Two 420-foot vertical speedways, three launches. All right, let's talk strategy. Copy that, driver. Go for maximum acceleration off the start. Roger that. You've got a short straightaway to push from 0 to 74 on the first vertical speedway. And what about the rollback? Rollback will set you up for an explosive reverse climb 420 feet in the sky so you reach 0 Gs in total weightlessness. 420 feet of straight-up speed. Let's get it. Top Thrill 2, the world's tallest and fastest triple-launch Stratocoaster. Get your tickets at cedarpoint.com.